Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. Today's episode, Empathetic Feedback, Putting Coaching Skills to Work in Your Relationship. And well, this is a, a little bit of me and a little bit of you, me with the relationship stuff and you with the uh, empathetic feedback. It It is. <laughs> it is both of us. And, you know, I think you know, speaking of entrepreneurship, one of the things that ends up happening is that whenever you build something as an entrepreneur, it, it ends up being a reflection of you and your business partner. Yeah, for sure. I've so never heard the term empathetic feedback before, so I'm really uh, excited to dive into this. Well, I made it up. Oh, that's why. <laughs> you made it up. Okay. <laughs> I made it up. Um, and, you know, I think anything can be categorically empathetic, right? Whether you're giving right. feedback or, um, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody, anything that in involves other humans has the capacity to have an empathetic lens put on it. And what, what would a, an empathetic lunch look like? An empathetic lunch? Yes. God, just a lot of care in terms of how you're experiencing <laughs> your hot dog. Yes. And each right? other. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. I I I love this topic. This topic wasn't something that I intended to pull into a podcast, but uh yesterday I was writing policy for our organization for Inside Lumia, um giving mm -hmm. managers some guidelines on on how to give feedback and as I was writing the policy I said you know this is actually coaching this is coaching skills at work because empathy listening creating space pacing is so central to the coaching conversation that the yeah. way that Lumia is interpreting feedback might be useful for everyone to use in all different kinds of relationships because no matter what kind of relationship you have you're going to have to give somebody feedback at some point. And we all know that that's a really uncomfortable thing. Right. How do you deal with feedback generally in your life? Do you give it freely? Do you receive it freely? How does it go for you? Well, I was thinking about, uh, you know, for someone like me who's uh, super active on social media, you start building little communities. And so I think empathetic feedback is really important. I, I think I'm... Um, I'm bad at this in that I haven't donated enough time to listening to, uh, you know, digital communities, what they're saying. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of posting, but I don't do a lot of commenting, which, which I know is important. How about in your personal life? In my personal life, um, Vanessa and I are uh, actually doing uh, couples counseling. And I think it uh, starts with this uh, empathy, um, you know, uh, we talk a lot about how to fight without fighting. So if you're not empathetic and if you're not giving um, feedback that is based in empathy, then uh, shields are up, people are defensive, you know, there's ego. And so, yeah, this is uh, with relationships, this is like uh, ground zero. Yeah. And I think it's important to qualify what kind of feedback requires a specific conversation because we're not talking about little things day in and day out, like, hey, you know, can you remember to get 
blueberries at the grocery store mm-hmm. or um, just like that shirt looks great on you. But we're talking about something that is a pattern or an incident or um, something that has happened that has caused noticeable harm. That if mm. it continues, it will not be good for you, the other person, or whatever system you happen to be a part of. Right. So there's a problem. There's something that isn't working for you. And instead of uh, barking orders or telling someone uh, what's wrong with them, going in through the door of empathy, as in um, here's the feedback. Yeah. Going in through the door of, of both empathy and process. And I mm. think that's where, where coaching comes in is empathy is wonderful, but unless you have a framework or a process for that empathy to live inside, you're just sitting there in your own puddle of feelings. We need to move it. We need to move it forward. So when you say move it forward and process, what exactly uh, do you mean? You mean, you mean starting the, the conversation and also executing, right? So, so there's change. Yeah. Giving expectations for the conversation, mm-hmm. setting the conversation appropriately, uh, and then and then moving through it. And the reason that I sat down and wrote an actual policy on how to do this is because we grew up in a punitive society, all mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. And, and we've been socialized that there's a right way and there's a wrong way. No matter what it is, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And when there's a mistake or a misstep, um, most of us expect punishment admonishment, poor feelings, fear, um, stonewalling, emotional stonewalling, rejection, Mm -hmm. or to Mm -hmm. possibly be ostracized or removed from whatever group we're a part of. Yeah. And I think um, what you're talking about is, uh, especially these days, um, really important in the workspace. Yes. Yeah. And it says uh, here, according to a positive psychologist and author, Todd Cashton, Cashton, um, yeah. Psychological safety is 50% of the recipe that is required for innovation. And then the other 50%, which is surprising, is a feeling of belonging. So these yes. things have nothing to do with money. Yeah, no, these things have yeah. nothing to do with, with money. And, you know, when we're thinking about the role of psychological safety and belonging as a required ingredient for innovation, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently is the way that our emotional experience truly overlaps at work and at home. That mm-hmm. if if you don't feel psychologically safe at home, if you don't feel like you belong at home, if you don't have the tools to engage in society, um, you're going to be stifled in terms of what you're able to produce and contribute as a human. And then work is just, you know, another microcosm of our full lived experience. We don't spend our whole lives at work, but we do spend our whole lives looking for both psychological safety and belonging. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the belonging piece, because I feel like if you feel like you belong to a community, uh, uh, to any, you know, anything, um, you actually uh, that belonging becomes this feeling of what you're whatever you're doing is kind of greater than yourself. Yes, and it, belonging is is really nuanced. 
Um, it includes everything from knowing that your thoughts and ideas are actually heard and considered. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I want to be clear that I, I'm talking about work, but I'm also not talking about work. I had a client um, the other day whose dad is visiting and mm -hmm. my client got onto the call and was furious because he realized that when he speaks, his father does not hear him. Yeah. And, and that dynamic is so central to, to belonging. Sure. And then we're also talking about having your contributions to any relationship respected, whether it's a friendship or a work relationship or a partnership or a marriage or, you know, whatever it is that someone says, I see you and the, who you are, the way that you show up is what makes our relationship a good thing to be a part of. Yeah. In, in relationships, would you say, or could you say that um, feeling desired falls under belonging as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And desire, desire's complicated because from there, you know, we're moving into the realm of human sexuality and we could do mm -hmm. a whole other podcast on this, you know, yeah. the, the role of fantasy, uh, your own turn on template, what it means right. to you, your relationship with touch. Um, but yes. And, and so each of these pieces kind of are their own little buckets for mm -hmm. exploration. Um, another piece of this that, that might tie into the concept of desire is being able to be exactly who you are without fear of disapproval. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's, uh, that's crucial. Um, I think especially in coaching, it's crucial, uh, to give your permission, give yourself permission to be who you are. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's, that's where you shine as a coach. If you don't, uh, you could kind of turn invisible. You could turn invisible. And then on the flip side, the reason that coaching is such a, a great example of how all of this works is what coaches do for their clients is give their clients permission to be exactly who they are in the right. space of that coaching relationship without and fear of disapproval. The, this is why the advice, giving advice is uh, not productive because you're um, not allowing the client uh, to be who she is. You're kind of um, trying to mold or grab or, you know, control this person very subtly. Yes. And what she just described, molding, grabbing, or controlling someone very subtly, whether it's a coaching relationship or any other kind of relationship, those are behaviors that are, are both maladaptive, harmful, and unproductive. Mm -hmm. yep. The opposite of empathy. The opposite of empathy. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, you know, giving feedback which is uncomfortable for everyone because of that punitive mindset that we've been mm -hmm. raised with. And, you know, I, I saw, I was scrolling on Instagram and I forget exactly who it was, but it was someone famous. And it was like, what advice do you wish you had given your younger self or what advice mm -hmm. do you wish your younger self had, had followed? And it really struck with me because the person said, I wish I had failed more often. I wish I had mm. allowed myself to fail mm -hmm. more often. And that hit me like a train because we're so socialized to be terrified of failure, to be terrified of mistakes. But failure is such a normal 
aspect of life. And it's really where we learn the most. How right. different would our experience of our existence be if we were all encouraged to go out there and fuck it up, see yeah. what happens? Yeah. How do you think that would have changed your childhood? Um, I think I would have uh, took more risks. I think uh, I would have stretched more. I think, um, I think you know, it, when you when you fail, it, it's weird because the road forks, and a lot of people when they fail, they internalize, they get scared. You know, the the creative stove is suddenly hot; they don't want to touch it anymore. So that's one path. Uh, but the other path with the mindset that you're talking about. Uh, leaning into failure, seeing it as uh, data and information, um, it allows you to, uh, uh, you know, we talk about playing in your, in your sandbox. It allows you to play an experiment so you can be better at whatever you're doing. And I, I don't know if you can be better without failure. Absolutely. And, and f you know, for me, my wish list for an evolved society is, is for folks to erase shame and look at failure with celebration of what mm -hmm. a glorious disaster that was. Let's sort through the rubble and see what we can learn. Yeah. I, I mean, can you imagine how many people would shine if they had the ability to embrace failure? I mean, you know, easier said than done. I still struggle with it. I get scared all the time, but I force myself to just do um, what I feel is uh, exciting and then see what happens. But uh, yeah, I mean, most people I know, uh, their their growth, their potentials stunted because of the afraid to fail. Yes, very much so, and and that's that's not an accident. Um, there's there's a lot of evolutionary psychology that is at play with our relationship with failure, with the um, the pain set that comes with the idea of wrongness and shame and failure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because at this point in time, in 2022, we all have um, very functional neocortex logic centers, but our old evolutionary systems, the limbic and the reptilian brain uh, are still running the show. So, mm -hmm. Right. Let me break it down a little bit, a little bit more to get to get pretty specific because it's important to understand. So when we evolved as a human, we didn't grow and swap out one brain for the next. We actually have three layers of brain that grew on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And our reptilian brain is 500 million years old. And this is like black and white instincts. Like I I'm in danger. I'm safe. I'm hungry. I'm full. Um, and the reptilian brain moves real fast and going back and forth between those black and white drives. Yes, no, right, wrong, safe, danger, hungry, mm -hmm. full. Um, there is no self-awareness. There's no Just survival. Control. It's automatic. Yeah. Yeah. It's straight automatic. Um, and then the second part of the brain, brain, the limbic system it grew on top of the reptilian brain and it's a little bit more evolved, um, but it still runs on that same fast, automatic yes-no system. Mm -hmm. And the limbic brain is where our emotions are organized. So for perspective, the way that our emotions are organized share the same level of consciousness 
as horses and apes and other large mammals. So we're, when we're living and reacting from this very automatic combination of black and white drives and emotion, we ourselves are no more evolved than a horse. How do we um, give our brains an update? You know how our iPhones, <laughs> um, you know, they automatically update when it needs to. I feel like we are, uh, our brains are in need of a, a, an update, a 2.0. They are, they, they are. And as I was writing this, it, it really nailed me that what coaching does is gives us the framework for the brain update mm-hmm. because it gets us to slow down in our reptilian brain and in our limbic brain, it just moves fast. It takes um, 0.1 seconds. So like a hundredth of a second for our brain to determine whether I'm okay or not, right? It just goes so fast. I like you, I don't like you. I'm safe, I'm not safe. Um, Mm -hmm. Boom, boom, boom. And and we we get stuck there. Um, The neocortex, that is the part of our brain that needs um, a little bit of an update. It's the newest part of the brain. It's rational. It's 100 million years old. And it gives our species the gift of system two thinking. But because it's the newest part of our brain, it's really slow. It takes effort. It takes awareness. It takes a lot of work to be controlled. And it takes a lot of work to be reflective. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about why coaching is important, why coaching is effective, and how it can be effective in giving feedback, understanding this setup of if we don't take the time to use a multi-step feedback system and slow this whole thing down, we're, we're setting ourselves up for a psycho-emotional experience where we're completely incapable of using logic, ration, control, or being actually reflective. So you're talking about actually, uh, I know we're joking about updating our brain, but for real, updating our brain by the practice of coaching so you learn these tools, so you don't just react or you're not uh, set in survival mode. Yes, that is literally what I'm saying, that that coaching and really specifically the frameworks and pacing of a coaching mm-hmm. conversation, slowing things down, doing Rewired things you, in steps. You. Yeah, yeah it, it gives us the capacity to essentially override our old biological systems and tap into our, our newer system that is better suited to modern life. And, you know, although our brains are really old, uh, w- one of the miracles, I think, just of humans in general uh, is that uh, we can we can change, like secondary change. So whether we're talking about um, physical body change or our brain, um, we can adapt, we can change, we can rewire. Um, and that, to me, that's like, that's the, the, the miracle. To me, that's, that overrides um, having parts that are 100 million years old. <laughs> Right. No, it, it it is. It's it is remarkable and and that's the science of neuroplasticity. Um mm-hmm. and that's also the exact same science that that coaching uses to rewire and extend what our consciousness is actually capable of. And it what is 
the most fascinating to me about all of this is that we are talking about deep, complex, evolutionary neuroscience. Mm -hmm. And it feels very vast, but the application of it is so freaking simple. (laughs) Like a five-year-old could do it. It's simple, but it takes tons of repetition, correct? It does. Like like you don't do it once and suddenly there's change. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like sit-ups or or diet or or, you know yeah just i'm changing your the the pattern is just it's it needs so much repetition it does need repetition and it's it's joyful repetition i did a coaching demo um for our students the other day and i i worked with somebody who volunteered for maybe about four minutes and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful demonstration. And I, and there were some folks in the room who had just started, who had just joined Lumia the day before, and they were kind of, their eyes were like saucers. And I said, folks, I've been coaching for 13 years. (laughs) This is what 13 years experience looks like. I don't expect Mm -hmm. you to be able to pull this rabbit out of your hat tomorrow. Yeah. So how do you think, let me ask you this. So, so uh, you've been pedaling the bike for 13 years. So obviously in that 13 years, you, your, your brain has changed. Yes. And do you notice that? Yes. Yeah. I do. I can tell you, um, and, and so has yours, by the way, because we've been doing this together. So, you know, what I, what I notice um, about the two of us is that we don't really take a lot of things personally anymore. Mm, that is true. Um, we're both super chill. Yeah, we hold things more at a distance. Yep. Even if there are problems, we're both super chill. Yeah. Um, we communicate much more strongly. It seems like we both have better relationships. Um, and I notice for myself that pacing of of slowing it down, of saying, okay, you know, what's step one? Okay, mm-hmm. what's step two? And just that uh, easy cadence is what my brain needs in order to limit that limbic fight or flight response and pull up into the neocortex for logic and strategy. Uh, yeah. I don't think that I would have made it uh, this far in, in business 10 years plus as an entrepreneur without these skills. Right. It is true. And, you know, it's something I don't think about just because life happens and we rarely look down and see how far we've come. But for sure, I mean, our personalities, you know, uh, have not changed. But, um, yeah, how we work, um, what used to activate us maybe activates us less. Uh, That whole distancing you're talking about, absolutely. I think uh, just as we get older, we get better at um, not being, you know, knocked off the – the platform. Yeah. The operating yeah. system has updated. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Yes. I hope yeah. it keeps updating. Uh, I feel like my, um, the updating bar on my, um, my, uh, my operating system, my brain is uh, 90%, but it's not quite done. I'm still waiting for it to, you know, ping and say, okay, you are officially updated. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. Right. I mean, you know, there's, you have, you have a 50th birthday coming up. Maybe that's yes. going to be when it goes bing. The tipping point. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So let's, let's, so I, and I, I want to demonstrate how, how 
thank you for bearing with me through all of the complex science because it's mm-hmm. important to understand the background, everything from the punitive society, you know, down through the evolutionary triggers. But the feedback system to eliminate shame is actually really simple. It's there's five steps, um, and again, this is policy that we use at Lumia. If other people out there are, are managers, you're welcome to adopt this. Just give me a shout um, for support. And then, you know, I think that this is really effective to use in interpersonal relationships as well, uh, simply because you are providing that psychological safety. And the outcome is that you give everyone's brain a chance to chill out because of the pacing and actually get to a place where you can have a productive outcome. Mm. So step one is you've detected a mistake or uh, there's been an incident or, and this is, I think the most common area where people need feedback or you're seeing Mm -hmm. a pattern. So like if you're watching a friend do the same stupid shit, like, every other week, um, you're seeing a pattern. If you're seeing a Mm -hmm. pattern with your partner, if you're seeing a pattern with your kid, if you're seeing a pattern with your coworker, and it's in your interest and in that person's interest to say, hey, I'm seeing this pattern and it's hurting you. Mm -hmm. Um, So step one is, is to notice the pattern and drop down into empathy and for yourself, think about how is this person doing generally as a whole person? What has their life been like? Have there been major changes or stressors? Um, When you give them feedback, do you have a sense of how this person might react or respond? And taking the time to do that puts you into a compassionate mindset and limits your own limbic response because giving feedback is stressful for both parties. It's stressful for the person giving the feedback and it's stressful for the person receiving the feedback. Yeah, it's um, what I hear you saying is uh, basically knowing the person's story, uh, what they've been through, where they were. And so instantly um, they become three-dimensional and that's when you could be more empathetic instead of just judging someone based on their their behavior. Yeah. And and I think it's important to recognize that when we're using this process, our goal is to help someone course correct, mm-hmm. not to be right. And and when we use empathy, that's what we're we're basically trying to account for within ourselves is the very human tendency to be like, I'm right and you're wrong. Mm -hmm. So once you really get a chance to dig in and and think about the person's story, step two is to run your own little empathy-based assessment. So if you're observing somebody or there's been an incident, uh, in an ideal world, what did you think was going to happen if the incident or mistake or pattern hadn't occurred? What's the ideal state? So you were expecting what from the person in front of you? And then, and get that down on paper, like really get that down on paper because something that happens all the time is that we all walk around with expectations for how others are going to behave, but we don't share our expectations and no one can read your mind. Mm-hmm. 
Have you ever had that experience where you were like, man, I thought you were going to do this. And then that person had obviously no idea what you thought. Yeah. All the time. Really? Yeah. Or I, uh, I jump to conclusions a lot or if, you know, um, someone misses a meeting, I don't get a text. I assume, uh, you know, I, I may take it personally or, you know, something is happening that is not true. Wow. Okay. This is, uh, and, and I go right to like, they're dead in a ditch somewhere. Mm, Cause you have a lot more empathy than I do. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Well, yeah. this is all right, John. So let's get into this. So what were you expecting to happen? You know, give mm-hmm. yourself the full rundown of what your expectations were, cause you're going to need to share them. And then, um, what happened instead? And when we're sourcing and actually getting down on paper, what happened instead? This is where we need to be really careful of that punitive socialization because we need to stick to the facts. We need to be absolutely unemotional and give a factual rundown about our direct experience and observations. We can't project and say, you did this and it caused the world to end. No, it's, it's I observed this very specific yeah. thing. I heard you say this. I watched you do this. What did you directly experience? Emotions distort, especially in uh, the coaching space. They do. And we don't mm-hmm. want to label facts with emotions. Facts mm-hmm. are facts and, and facts are are very useful just as they are. Um, and then the third piece is that we take the time to actually think about what kind of support this person might need given what we're observing. You know, does this person need to learn something new? Do they need help? Are they overwhelmed? Was the expectation reasonable to begin with? These are all things that you yourself want to take accountability for imagining before you go to somebody else with feedback so that you're sharing the burden. Mm -hmm. And then step three is is the hard part. Um, This is where humans get tripped up because nobody likes conflict or confrontation. And so this is where you actually reach out to someone and say, hey, I have some feedback for you. I'm not coming from, and this is very important, I'm not coming from the perspective of you being in trouble. I just really want to draw your awareness to something that I think is hurting you. And my goal is to help you. Do you have space to talk to me about this? Yeah, it's coming from a place of um, care, concern. Yep. Yeah. And what what I'd like to make really explicit about everything that I just shared is that you're, you're taking three, four steps to address and reinforce your intentions and move the mindset and language away from anything that has to do with punitive, because this is our first opportunity to provide psychological safety so mm-hmm. that somebody doesn't revert into that reptilian brain where all they can do is black or white thinking. Right. Most, most people grew up with, uh, consequences, um, uh, like you were saying, punitive, um, most people did not grow up with this kind of psychological safety. No. And most yeah. people don't exist in relationships 
where there is this kind of psychological yeah, safety, absolutely. you know, yeah. unless you are literally surrounded by coaches who are well-versed in restorative practices, you're probably not going to get this stuff. So it's important to take the time. Um, and, and if, if you feel, um, that you're not getting it across, really over communicate. I'm a big fan of putting things in writing just to give somebody space and a chance to process. And so you're not hitting them verbally with all of this stuff, because when you hit mm -hmm. somebody verbally with stuff, you have no guarantee that your words are actually landing. Mm -hmm. And so I like to give everything a little bit of space. Yeah. And then step four is, um, is to prepare ahead of time and to tell this person that you're going to give them a, a verbatim rundown of everything that you want to share with them in advance of a conversation. And this is a piece that might feel a little bit weird and clunky, but I can't stress enough how helpful it is. Mm -hmm. Because where interpersonal relationships go off the rails is when people are stressed and they're surprised and they don't know what to expect. If your goal is actually to have an effective conversation, if you can give someone a template of exactly what to expect from you and then deliver and stick to your script of exactly what you said you were going to say, man, you are building trust like crazy. Yeah. You're not surprising someone. You're giving them a chance to actually process, to prepare themselves ahead of time, and, and you're increasing your chances that you can actually have an effective conversation. Yeah. And for many, you're giving them a new experience, something they may not have experienced before, which is uh, safety. Yeah. And so as you're moving into step five and, and, and you're preparing to give somebody the rundown, um, it's important to know how this human likes to receive information. Some people like things in writing. Some people are auditory processors. Um, there's nothing wrong with sending someone a voice memo. Oh, I do that all the time, by the way, uh, via phone, via just because I'm always on the go. Uh, it really helps me to, um, yeah, put, put it in a voice memo. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what I like about voice memos is that the other person gets to hear your humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. And Except to hear just your the words. Yeah, to hear your voice and to have a human connection, you know, with it. Um, and then, you know, if things are in writing, it gives people a chance to sketch all over it, to take notes, to ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final step is, is actually having the conversation. And actually having the conversation uh, is probably where both parties will experience the most stress going in. But if you've taken the time to really stretch this thing out, empathize, create space, prepare, um, stick to the script, and you'll avoid a train crash. Mm. Something that's important to acknowledge is that if this is a very tender situation, you might not reach a resolution while you're having the conversation, it might just be that you're ripping the Band-Aid off of, you know, face-to-face -face acknowledgement that something needs to, you know, change. And yeah. that's a big deal. 
that's a win in and of itself. Getting through that situation in a healthy way, alleluia. Mm-hmm. What do you make of all of this? I think it's great. I love that we have a, a step-by-step process. And as you're going through this, I'm also thinking that this works uh, not only in the workspace, uh, not only in the uh, the coaching space with clients, but also with uh, with your relationships, uh, friendships, with family members. It's kind of a um, it's a it's a wide net that we're throwing. Oh yes, oh yes. And you know, as you're running your script during the conversation, the person who's receiving the feedback may be all over the place, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That that person may be giving you excuses. Um, they might be you know physically jumpy. Like let them. Let them have their experience and your job is just to show up and do Mm -hmm. exactly what you said you were going to do is stick to your own script um, and then set a follow-up check-in to to debrief. How's everybody doing? I love it. I think the world would be a better place if we all practice more of this, you know, kind of across the board. Well, thankfully we have a coaching company Yeah, and, and this is what we do. Mm -hmm. is train thousands of people how to do this and shout it from our podcasts. Yeah. I am grateful that we get to do this work. Yeah. And uh, if you're interested in uh, diving deeper, uh, if you're interested in helping other people and you're curious about all this stuff, um, meet us at Lumia. Indeed. All right, friend, be well. Be well. Thank you for being empathetic. (laughs) uh, yeah with me all these years all right be well have a great day take care thanks for listening to everything life coaching if you're feeling the draw to become a coach head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything explore a new career that brings fulfillment gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.